Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to Jerusalem Unplugged, the only podcast dedicated to Jerusalem, its history, and its people. Your host, Roberto Matza, will bring you guests discussing their relationship with the Holy City, a journey through history, society, feelings, and hopes for the future. Follow the podcast on all social media platforms at Jerusalem Unplugged. Welcome to Jerusalem Unplugged, the podcast dedicated to Jerusalem, its history, and its people. I'm your host, Roberto Mazza, and today I am pleased to welcome Mary Velma Smith O'Neill, the director of the website and project Arch Jerusalem. You can find the website at mugrabiquarter.info. The project was provided by a Park NEH Fellowship and a Webster University Geneva Research Grant. Today, we're going to talk about an amazing project. Essentially, Marivelma is going to take us through a virtual journey of the Maghrebi Quarter, which was, and we have to remember this, demolished in 1967 after the end of the Six-Day War when the Israeli army took over the old city of Jerusalem and the eastern part of the city. Marivelma, welcome. Thank you, Roberto. Thank you for inviting me. Glad to be here. The first and only question I always ask my guests is, what is your Jerusalem? In other words, what is your connection to the city? Well, um, it's a very complex connection, as I'm sure most people have. Um, I, w- I was raised as a Catholic, and at most funeral masses in the Catholic Church, when the coffin, the corpse is taken out of the church, the choir, if there is a choir, uh, invokes the the spirits upon the, the 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 person who's died, and they pray that the angels will meet him and her in Jerusalem at the golden gates of Jerusalem. So there's this sense of Jerusalem being a, an eschatological kind of place that I inherited as a child. Um, I sort of also inherited um, a, maybe a Christian Zionist perspective because when I was in, growing up in New York. There was a musical called Fiddler on the, on the Roof, and one of the most famous songs was, This land is mine, God gave this land to me. So I sort of had mixed ideas as a child and uh, never any tremendous ambition to visit Jerusalem until uh, I was commissioned in 2010 to write a histories of heaven, histories of the afterlife. And so the inevitable place to visit was Jerusalem. And I went to the airport. I came through um, Ben-Gurion, and the, the, the agent or the, the passport agent asked me what the purpose of my visit was. And I said, um, I'm coming to Jerusalem to do research and also because I want to, as a tourist, and also do some research about heaven. And she raised her eyebrows. And I thought, maybe there's something else there besides heaven. And... I discovered um, many, many different parts of Jerusalem and uh, many sides of Jerusalem. And I would say that in response to the question as to what my Jerusalem 
uh, is or was or is or will be. I, I'd like to maybe refer to the to the writer, the, the the English novelist Somerset Lawn, and he said, "And who can describe a city so as to give a significant picture of it? It's a different place to everyone who lives in it." And so I would say that Jerusalem is not my Jerusalem. Jerusalem is our Jerusalem. And so that's what I've discovered in many wonderful ways. Um, I was a participant in a in a conference in the UK about four or five years ago, and it was a, about Jerusalem and this wonderful book. There's an exhibition at the Metropolitan Museum, which I think you know about um, every people under heaven. Um, but it really is actually about uh, not only the the holy city but the ordinary city, and. Um, I have another wonderful book, if you don't mind me doing show and tell. I am kind of a teacher to recommend this wonderful book, uh, which is a, which is about Noble Sanctuary. Um, and I have a great compilation of music about Jerusalem, which was um, uh, Jerusalem paid la ville. It's uh, what's his name who does this? So you know who he is. He's a famous musician. Uh, but anyway, then I have this other wonderful book to recommend. Jerusalem in History. And finally, two more. These are colonialist views of Jerusalem. The Wilson's Rediscovery of Jerusalem, the, the, um, the account of his um, topographical survey of 1865. And finally, a very Christian walking through Jerusalem. And I'm very interested in, in this now because I have a plan to, um, digit, to digitally map a, a map of Jerusalem, which is actually under my rug here. I often keep storage under the rug. So I can show you this. It's a it's Wilson's Ordnance Survey, mapped by a general named Carl Sandrechi. Um and he gives the ortho orthography or provides the orthog original orthography of the streets in Jerusalem. With Arabic um in the text there's Arabic annotations uh, given by a learned sheikh. So with a Young researcher at Jerusalem College named Chandler Collins, we plan to digitally map and recover this wonderful collaboration and present it to Jerusalem Quarterly. And digital uh, maps, so digitally mapping Jerusalem, is very much part of this project about the Mugrabi uh, Quarter. Uh, before we, we delve into the discussion of the project and what you want to achieve with that and how the project uh, works. Can you tell us how you got to the idea of digitally mapping the Mugrabi Quarter that does no longer exist? Well, thanks for asking that too, Roberto. When I was in Jerusalem in 2010, I lived actually in West Jerusalem in a basement, a very cold basement in the winter. Um, and it, uh, I, as a result of that very cold, uh, inhospitable basement, I got out all the time and I wandered everywhere and walked from East, uh, West Jerusalem to the old city and further. And, um, when I, one of, on one of my excursions, I came, I visited the, the so-called Tower of David Museum and I followed the signs, followed my nose as all good researchers do. And I ended up in this, cistern, the ancient cistern, where this maquette, this model of Jerusalem was kept, uh, was stored, was, was, was I want to say, exposed, but it's, it's, um, it's not so easy to find it. You know, you really need the nose of uh, Sherlock Holmes to get down there. So I saw it, and I realized it had this connection to Geneva, that it had actually had the owners were, um, it, was, it was, had been lent uh, a permanent loan by Geneva, the, the uh, certain organization here, to the um, city of Jerusalem for exposition there. So I was intrigued by it. And basically for about the next seven or eight years, intermittently, I tried to find the owners. And I finally located the owners in Geneva. And um, once I located the owners, I decided that I wanted to make it a research project. I'll say that in 2017, in the New York Review of Books, I noticed there was digital mapping training um, offered at Duke University in the States, and I applied and was accepted as one of the uh, participants, very gratefully. So I spent two weeks of two summers learning at a very high level how to digitally map. 
And then I decided that my research project would be to, to, to somehow digitally map the Ilish uh, maquette, which is a model of Jerusalem, which I'll show you later on, uh, which was made in, uh, by a Hungarian bookbinder named Stefan Illis, Illish, excuse me, between 1864 and 1873. How he made it is a miracle, is a wonder still. Because as you can imagine, without any scientific equipment to use, and I have to confess that I have a little bit of a child in me still, thank goodness, and I have always loved miniatures. I'm really drawn to miniatures. There's a wonderful maquette here, a model of Geneva in 1870 that I often visit and take students to. So, um, so this miniature Jerusalem fascinated me, and I, you know, compiled as much information as I could about it, and then took this training, and. Then, um, with this generous grant from the NEH and Park and Webster University, I was able to spend four months in Jerusalem, uh, living in Raz El Amud with the uh, Muna family, which is an extraordinary experience. And at, at that time, the, the model had not yet been virtualized. I had problems with the administration of a certain delay, administrative delay, which um, which delayed the virtualization of the model. And in July 2019, the, the model, the Maquette Illish, was finally virtualized. Of course, during the four months in Jerusalem, I had to 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 um, revise my my idea. And what I realized was it was that it would have been an impossible task anyway. And so I decided to um, digitally reconstruct one of the um, quarters of Jerusalem, which is now almost completely destroyed, except for the Mugrabi Gate. And that's the, the ancient the ancient 800-year-old Mugrabi Quarter. This is fascinating, particularly reflecting upon your personal journey, coming from certain ideas about Jerusalem, and then ending, or at least now going through this uh, bit of your journey, uh, which is about digital mapping of Jerusalem. I also want to mention, mention to the listener, because we, we talked about this uh, uh, PARC NEH-funded project, where PARC stands for Palestinian American Research Center, uh, just to clarify all of the terms. I'm fascinated looking at the website, and for those of us following uh, uh, the video cast instead of a podcast, uh, uh, we are going now to share uh, the screen of the um, of the website so that it will be easier to follow through. But while we start sharing the screen, I, I wanted to ask you something. The Mugrabi Quarter was destroyed in 1967, and this is a well-known fact. Yet, people visiting Jerusalem, pilgrims, tourists, often are unaware of the fact that while visiting the uh, Western Wall Plaza, there was actually a neighborhood there with real people living daily life, conducting the businesses, families, women, children, men, walking up and down these narrow alleys. Can you give us a very brief history of these neighborhoods? And for those who are accessing sure. the website, you can certainly find uh, very important uh, uh, you know, elements of the history of these neighborhoods. Thank you. Well, I wanted to say that um, during the time I was in Jerusalem in 2000, between two, November 2018 and 2019, I, I attended an event at Hebrew University, and it was a nice cocktail at Pekro before, and I spoke to some people, and one professor of classics asked me what I was doing in Jerusalem, and I said, actually, I was doing a, a digital, trying to do a digital reconstruction of the Mugrabi Quarter, and he said to me, oh, where was that? This man was in his 50s about, where was that? Was that near Muristan? And I was pretty astonished that um, an educated Israeli would not be aware of it. And I also found that a number of Palestinians are not aware of the, of the, the quarter and of um, not necessarily a destruction, but there's very little, there, there's certainly a, a problem in terms of, in terms of the um, dissemination of information about the Mugabe quarter. And so this website attempts to address that. It wasn't a very easy project to do on many levels. Um, in fact, I have to say that after we started the digital mapping, we stopped because 
the digital mapping, it's very difficult to digital map a place that doesn't exist anymore. So what we decided to do was to create a digital archive. So that was this digital archive, the Mugabe Quarter Digital Archive, is the first phase of a larger project that we have developed, which will be launched imminently. And that is the virtual initiative, which will begin by digitally mapping in the, in the, uh, the city of, of Jerusalem during the late Ottoman period. The quarter was a, was a wonderful place, of, you know, mainly uh, constituted by Moroccans, by people from the Maghreb. It was founded in, in about 1187 by the son of Saladin, both to reward uh, the soldiers who, who helped him route the crusaders and also to repopulate Jerusalem. He was a very, very clever man. So for eight centuries, it drew people from the Maghreb, and, and the 15th century, after the expulsion of the, the Moors of Andalusia, there were many um, people from who came also uh, as refugees to the Maghrebi quarter and were welcome. And I guess I wish that that sense of welcome will be present to the viewers of this website, because it's one of the aspects of Jerusalem that I wouldn't want to overlook, and that is the, the extraordinary sense of welcome everywhere one goes is Allah Masalan. And I'm not saying that's exclusively in the Arab quarter. I have many Jewish friends in Jerusalem um, who also extended welcome to me, and I'm very grateful to them. Before we move on on the actual project, uh, I found it very interesting that you mentioned this lack of knowledge. In a, in a, I too mentioned the fact that there is a lack of awareness. The very fact that there are very few historical works discussing the Maghrebi quarter, uh, particularly after 1967, suggests that somehow, obviously in this case, the Israeli chose to neglect the memory of his neighborhoods. But this is also expanding beyond, essentially, not only the quarter was destroyed, but its memory has gone. And, and I was wondering how you dealt with this lack of memory uh, and also material when you started this project. I imagine it's like being a, a dentist, you know, looking into somebody's mouth that has a big cavity and you, you know, you're trying to figure out what you can do with it because there's just a great, great gaping hole. In terms of material memories, I dug around everywhere in Jerusalem um, and, and also on the occupied Palestinian territories. I contacted Mugrabi people. I actually helped with, you know, I went to libraries, archives, et cetera, to see what I could find. I was greatly helped by um, Jean-Michel de Terragon at the École Biblique Française de Jerusalem, who has a, presides over an extraordinary archive of images. But one of the challenges about the images in the Mugrabi Quarter is that the fact that Christian pilgrims didn't visit it because it didn't have any um, Christian monuments. So there was a dearth of really a, a, a photographic um, a documentation about the Mugrabi Quarter. So, uh, I mean, we I, I just searched and searched. I found sometimes odd bits of things. I found a bread bag in an antique shop uh, that the, actually the owner gave me. Um, I found... Um, I'm trying to think of all the documentation we have, which is principally um, the, the information about the walks, because um, the Mugabe Quarter was made by was created by by the son of Saladin Al Malik as a pious endowment, which meant that it was given to its owners for perpetuity, and that that could not be violated. So, in fact, the walks endowment was indeed violated between June 10th and June 12th, 1967. I tried to find the most importantly, I think, were the Mugrabi people, people who were in the quarter when it was destroyed, people who had oral testimonies, memories. And I still hope to find more of them because they're getting older now. But I found that the the human element, the story of that quarter and with the life of the people of the, before it was destroyed, their, their communitarian life, you know, it would talk about one man about having... Um, going into the Jewish neighborhood, which is next door, to turn the lights off in the, uh, at Shabbat. And there was this tolerance, this communitarianism, which existed in Jerusalem at that time, which was subsequently destroyed. 
Uh, I found that really compelling as well as the oral testimony is very moving. We have about, I think, 10 of them or 12 of them on the website. Your words are really bringing back to life these neighborhoods. And uh, I really would like to invite uh, uh, the listeners and the viewers to browse, particularly the uh, visit the archive uh, section of the website where you have these images and I was struck by this uh, child standing in uh. the area, the Maghrebi boy. This podcast is very much dedicated to people. And you already mentioned uh, some stories that you found. I was wondering if there's any other story that st stood out through the material that you found, stories of regular people that lived uh, through the in the Mugrabi Quarter and obviously related to the rest of the city, men, oh, women, children. Yeah, not, I wouldn't say children so much, but the men, uh, I, I visited um, the former Mukhtar uh, of the Mugrabi Quarter and his wife, um, the, uh, the surname is Al Musli. Their daughter very kindly arranged for me to visit them. And I went out with a cameraman and a video cameraman and we interviewed them. Um, thanks to the, the kindness of Zara Halidi, who did the translation for us. Um, I found there that, the, again, wonderful hospitality. I, I brought them some Swiss chocolates, and they gave me cakes and, and tea, and we had a, a wonderful two hours together. And the Mukhtar described his uh, his family life in the uh, Bagrabi court, of the communal life. Um, they, the fact that after the quarter was destroyed, um, many of the Mugrabi um, men took um, refuge in the um, Celestial Court, which is a, a, a mosque, which is basically behind the Kotel and is in the northern, it's the, um, uh, uh, what is it, the um, chain, uh, Street of the Chains. And uh, so I visited a gentleman there as well, but returning to the Mukhtar, his wife was fascinating because she told me about uh, so many anthropological um, experiences, or at least for me, from her own lived experience of of baking, of, of ha having many children, of the number of times she would go to the roof to get water, of her um, uh, tr trials and tribulations, of the fact that she was pregnant. Um, and the Mukhtar told me about uh, a, his epileptic sister who was traumatized by the destruction of the Mugabe Quarter. And of course, we also remember Mugabe quarter um, exile. They were exiled, who left his home and with three, with two of his three children. And when he when he met his wife, met up, they all had to stay with relatives. His wife said, well, "Where's the baby?" And they realized that they'd left the baby in back in their home. So they hurried back to get the baby, and they had trouble getting into the home, and they had to actually, uh, you know be very strong in, in language to convince the, the guards from the, that, that there was a baby inside who needed to be collected. So there were a lot of stories like that about people. Um, I mean, Nazmi Aljube told me fascinating stories, uh, or the cameraman, I should say, about um, playing in the Mugabe Quarter. He actually didn't live in the Mugabe Quarter, but he, he is a child that played sports in the quarter. His father had a store nearby. Everybody was connected to everybody. There were afternoon or evening meetings in the gardens. Um, the women cooked couscous together. Uh, it was um, it was a very very tightly knit community, and that spirit of familial connection was really so painfully sundered after as a result of the destruction. Uh, and that also is recounted by people who came back afterwards and fainted um, at the sight of what had been their home uh, or their community. So um, I just encourage, as you said, to everyone to visit the archive because there you'll hear the true stories that I'm recounting kind of faintly now. I, I encourage you to listen to the authentic voices. You will also experience today the warmth and hospitality of the Mugrabi people. And it was extended to me during our interviews with them as well. I'd, I'd like to say that we used as a background, it was my daughter, Kateri, who lives in Istanbul, who's a brilliantly creative person and 
one should brag about one's children, but she inherited a gift and she's developed it herself. This down here is the Mukhtar here with the deed, with the wok um, is laminated, um, the former Mukhtar, I should say, with the former, um, again, residents of the quarter. We use the um, the Wilson Ordnance Survey as the basis for the uh, virtual archive. You can actually move these pictures around too. This actually is a, the WACF, um, uh, the original copy of the WACF. Uh, now this also is extraordinary um, survivor in the Mugabe Quarter here uh, on the left who is um, has a, a little house behind the, or apartment behind the hotel. I think, I don't know if viewers are aware who don't know Jerusalem, that what was the former Mugabe Quarter is now the Western Wall Plaza. So what what when I, I've kind of gone through the Western Wall Plaza sometimes, I ask the tour guides, did anybody live here before this was created? And of course, I'm not very warmly um, received when I ask that, but uh, they, um, the fact is that this community, you know, there's no, as you just said, there are no memories in situ of this community and its 800-year-old history. We are going to take a very short break. Please remember to join our Facebook page and also to join our Instagram and Twitter accounts. If you have any story about Jerusalem you want to share, please let me know. And if you have anyone you want me to interview, send a message either through the Facebook page or my email. Remember, enjoy, share, subscribe. Thank you for listening. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm going to move to uh, the next question. Uh, but first of all, I want to mention the fact that Nazmi will be a guest uh, of Jerusalem Unplugged um, exactly to talk about uh, his youth um, not just his job as a scholar of of Jerusalem, but uh, very much to talk about uh, the experience of growing in the Maghrebi quarter, which is part Wonderful. of this idea of recovering the memory of the neighborhood. But my question here is about the purpose of the project. Uh, there are many digital projects currently undertaken in, in Jerusalem, uh, somehow rebuilding or constructing even from scratch, uh, you know, digital aspects of the history of Jerusalem. And each and one of these projects has a different purpose. Sometimes uh, they're connected to political claims, religion uh, or religious claims. And I was wondering behind this idea of reconstructing the Maghrebi quarter, 
what is behind this idea? Well, I think it's a question of, of, of uh, as, as a researcher, my, my, my background training or my, my academic training was in the history of art. And I, I defended a very famous Italian artist um, who was the enemy of Caravaggio. And if one was the enemy of Caravaggio, <laughs> the streets were not safe in Rome in the 17th century. So I, I've always had this this kind of idea of of, of social justice of um, what is this term um, restorative justice, excuse me. And for that reason, I think the Mugabe the Mugabe people, I, I, you know, deserve to have this memory recorded. And um, I don't know so much of the memory of their quarter. I don't know so much about other digital projects about Jerusalem per se. Or necessarily about Palestine. I think, I mean, we 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 hired uh, with the grant money I had. I hired some young Palestinian um, um, specialists or experts. They weren't exactly that because what I hoped to do was was a transfer of knowledge to them, and I hoped with my meager knowledge of digital mapping to encourage them to learn to do it. But I think there needs to be training really in 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 Palestine. On digital mapping as a means of cultural heritage preservation, I, I would, if I, if there was any um, genie I could, I could pull out of the the bottle, I would request that because I think it's urgent. And um, and you know, as we're doing this, moving on to the next phase of this uh, virtual Illish initiative, <clears throat> it's always worth remembering um, that in Jerusalem there are 25 archaeological layers. And that Jerusalem it bears witness to 30 civilizations. So it's Jerusalem is kind of a, a living baklava of historical memories. Um, and I think these, in the face of, of the narratives which would impose uh, only one history on Jerusalem, when I, I taught a course, and, and the course is Jerusalem and its histories or her stories. I think we should, be, we should all be aware that this is a, a story of many people not only of Jews, Christians, and Muslims, but also of Afro-Palestinians, of Romas, of people who've come through the, the midst of time in and out of Jerusalem, whether they came um, as pilgrims for, for, for peace, peaceful purposes, or they came as intruders for conquest. And every stone in Jerusalem has multiple stories. And I think those narratives deserve to be told in, in ways that will attract a modern audience. And that, that means maybe not necessarily in academic treatises. What you just mentioned is the very heart of uh, my work, personally speaking, but also this podcast, to highlight the fact that there are histories in plural and not just one single narrative when talking about Jerusalem is very much there are people, again, in the plural, so we may say people's Given the fact that there are different communities, people speaking different languages, uh, professing different religions, and yet sharing the same space. And, and I think this is an important aspect uh, of, of Jerusalem. Now, the space of the Maghrebi Quarter, you mentioned, obviously, has been taken over by the um, Western World Plaza. And, and effectively, you know, going back to the question of memory, the memory of the neighborhood now lives with. Uh, those who inhabited uh, the quarter, and it, as you said, these are individuals who are aging, and the risk is that their memory, their experience will disappear in time. What are the next steps that you think are important in order to preserve the memory and foster the memory of the Maghrebi quarter? Well, I thank you for that. I, it's a challenge. I think. Um, I think. You know, we 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 Westerners play a role, but I think the Palestinians themselves, um, despite the fact that they're beleaguered and uh, and that's too just too light a word uh, under occupation, particularly in East Jerusalem, they occupied Palestinian territories. If if there was some way that we could, you know, find EU money, um, or grant money, or whatever, to again to to train some of these. Uh, young people, because it's the young people who need to remember. 
As gold in my ear said, the old will die and the young will forget. And so it's the forgetting. It's the forgetting about this wonderful sense of belonging. So I would just hope that um, efforts could be made throughout the cultural uh, heritage organizations um, in, in Europe and elsewhere to, to preserve the histories of Jerusalem, reminding ourselves constantly, Jerusalem is our universal, cult- is universal cultural heritage of outstanding value. This is, that city belongs to the world, not to the people who are fighting for it. So I, I would recommend that, um, yes, that, that training and funds be, be made to, to enliven people. We also had a plan, which maybe would be interesting as well, to create a, an app which would um, is, was called, going to be called Our Jerusalem. And we still have plans for it, but creating an app costs money, which would allow young people to go through Jerusalem and interact with their phones, with various graffiti, with beeps, with all sorts of ways to make history active in which they could drop their memories as well. And they could make the walls of Jerusalem their memories, the backdrop for their lives. So there are a lot of ideas out there. And um, I think we need to all get together and maybe have a little conference to discuss them. You are in Geneva, Switzerland, not far away from um, the UNESCO headquarters. I was wondering if you think in your work through your work, in your experience, if UNESCO should consider the Maghrebi Quarter as a World Heritage Site, despite the fact that it does no longer exist? Well, that's true, Roberto. In fact, I've I've been in touch with UNESCO um, unsuccessfully so far, also with um, a gentleman who is very... Uh, wonderful in terms of his own energy for the Maghrabi Quarter, Salim Tamari. And um, we have written to the Maghrabi Quarter. I have been and written also to the Palestinian ambassador to the UN here. And what we'd like to do is to begin a process by which the Maghrabi Quarter could be placed on UNESCO's list of destroyed cultural heritage sites. So to preserve his memory, but also to protect the future, because we have to remember that the Mugabe Quarter was actually destroyed in two stages. It was ma- the ma- major part of it was destroyed in 19 uh, by June 12th. There are still trees in some of the pictures, um, and the trees around which people sat and socialized. But there also is this terrible problem of um, and conflicted site which people are aware of and certainly is highly monitored, which is the Mugrabi Gate. And the, the second phase, I should have said earlier, was the first was the destruction of the Mugrabi Quarter. Then the Abu Saud complex was destroyed two years later, which was a, a medieval complex which, which held up the pathway, of the, the, the earthen pathway, which led to the Mugrabi Gate. Now, the Mugrabi Gate, for those who might not know it, is um, the only gate, you can correct me, Roberto, if I'm wrong here, that um, now allows the people to access the noble sanctuary, those people being tourists and, and non-Muslims. So the Maghrabi Gate is a, a one of the most highly contested sites of the world because of the possible um, explosion of conflict that occur, could occur on the noble sanctuary. So we would like to, um, we would like to, enlist the Maghrabi community, the Maghrabi diaspora throughout the world in trying to help us preserve that Maghrabi gate and to try to make it a, not a, a site of conflict, but a site of belonging so that um, it, 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 legally they still own that gate, I think. But I would, I would hope that there would be some way that the Maghrabi quarter would also lead into a future and would eventually lead into a more peaceful negotiation for the final status of Jerusalem. So I hope we can get the, I mean, there is a, a widespread Mugrabi community in Jerusalem. I was in touch with them when I was, um, when I was there for four months, and I'm still in touch with a few people, but I, I'm not sure they're aware of this website yet because it hasn't really officially been released. This is our, this is our coming out party here with you. Well, thank you for sharing this, and I hope this will... Uh certainly start, uh, you know, publicity uh, about the, the website and the project, and it will give people the chance to visit and become more aware about the history of, uh, of the Maghrebi Quarter, and, but also the current situation of, uh, of that area itself, which you mentioned correctly, and I think this is an important aspect to remember, 
the Maghrebi quarter was a waqf, so essentially was an inalienable property, and uh, you know, from I would say an international legal perspective, what uh, uh, the Israeli did in 1967 was to breach that recognized international uh, order. Uh, so I, I suppose there are also legal questions here, but as yes. we mentioned from the very beginning, they they disappeared in time. And you know, you quote from uh, Golda Meir is definitely true. Uh, you know, the younger generation don't remember, and I think in also the question of the waqf uh, disappeared in, in time. Yes, and it's one of the actually the best preserved waqf in, in Jerusalem. And I'd also like to say both as as a I'm American by birth, but I'm also a naturalized Swiss, and I also am very proud to be a uh, a I'm a Swiss by conviction, I should say, and I'm very proud to live in a country, despite the fact that this is not perfection either, where um, which is the home to the Geneva Conventions. Um, so by international law, uh, certainly there's a case to be made that the violation of the destruction of the of the um, Mugabe quarter was an egregious violation of international law that should be redressed. And we hope it will be redressed uh, through this website and also um, through um, a UNESCO proclamation um, placed somewhere on the Mugabe and the, and the Western Wall Plaza stating that this was the former home of the Mugabe people for 800 years, Mugabe community. It was an inalienable walk, as you say. Um, and we'd also like to encourage people to keep an eye on our initiative that will be launched, as I mentioned earlier, um, probably within the next week, uh, in which we hope to to extend our, our reach to, digit, to digital map to recover the histories of Jerusalem and the histories of Jerusalem um, in the um, late Ottoman period. And we're inviting scholars from all over the world to contribute, as well as um, ordinary people who have memories and who have may have postcards or or some um, intangible culture, tangible intangible culture that would help us um, bring back the city of lived people. In digital mapping, they always say bring the people in. You know, you just can't digitally map. You may as well be digitally map a chessboard, but you have to be, bring the people in. It's the people who make a city come alive. And and who make memories that 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 the stones maybe preserve if they could talk. Absolutely, and this is a good reminder that uh, in uh, in early photography, people were removed, and particularly in the case of Jerusalem, photographers were more interested in the objects, the buildings, rather than the people. Uh, so I think this would. Uh, as, as you said earlier, so to bring back sort of the sense of justice, including the people uh, in those buildings, in those alleys and streets. Yes. As we reach the end of uh, of this episode, I have two personal questions that I want to ask. And the first is related to your own experience, your your own journey through this project. What did you learn since you started uh, you know, this project, so from the idea of uh, going around Jerusalem and then working on the Mugrabi Quarter, what did well, you learn from a professional, but also from an emotional perspective? I was immediately going to, to return to a, a, a song that I didn't sing, but I, I quoted uh, when I was giving a speech about the UN when I was in high school. It was about the UN and the rise of developing people. And it was Barbara Streisand, corny, I don't know if anybody remembers her, who wrote a song about people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. And one thing I realized about this project in general um, entirely was how much it relied on other people. This is not a work for which I should be complimented. This was a collaborative work among people who contributed greatly or whatever they could of their time or their hospitality. And the team of, 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 of People who put the website together, it was an extremely complicated task. And sometimes people don't always uh, don't always behave so well when they're stressed. And I think um, I learned a lot of, I hope, diplomacy myself and, and patience, and um, and we encouraged each other. So, so I learned um, about the importance of people in, in getting things done. 
um, and also encouragement, uh, which is hugely important. Um, as far as professionally, I, um, I, I, I don't know whether, you know, digital mapping is seen by in the groves of academe as being as seriously academic as a, uh, as a peer-reviewed journal or article in a peer-reviewed journal. So I, w I would also advocate that uh, academic bodies reconsider uh, the value of digital mapping. And uh, as you can see from our um, Biography Carter website, we have a complete bibliography and narrative that certainly could be expanded far beyond the, the, the limits of the medium. Um, it's, it's difficult with digital mapping because oh, this wasn't digital mapping. I have to go back and say it. this is an archive. It's di it's difficult because you you know this medium because you can't be too word heavy. You have to you have to find a a balance between word and image because viewers are completely lost now when you when you dump too much stuff on them. So um, professionally too, I I just I watched something grow and it was beautiful and it's still growing and I guess. Finally, I could say, Roberto, that this is a legacy project, that, that I will begin this project, and I've applied for a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, and um, also I've applied for a, a, another grant for another project I have underway from a trust in England. But I, I see this as a, as a project which will, if, if we're going to recover the three millennial history of, of Jerusalem, this will... This will be a collaborative effort, which will require funding and generosity, but it, it will go on hopefully for so, so long that the young won't be able to forget because we'll, be, we'll keep coming back with new ways, technology, further technology will be developed, and um, we will keep the histories and the histories of Jerusalem very much alive. So we can safely say that uh, there's more to come. Right. There is definitely more to come. This is just a phase. This is this is more to come, and we also hope to have uh, include. Um, we did a little bit of music, or included a little bit of sound on this Mugabe um, uh, Quarter website. But we also hope to include, for example, the I have here the 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 oud music of Wasif Jawalier. We hope to include music. We if we if we could, you know, we would include. Um, Smells. I hope that comes up. You know that we can we can reawaken people to the smells of Jerusalem, whether that's distasteful or not. Um, you know, you have to remember also. Not you. You know this, but I, I didn't know. Well, of course, it's pretty obvious that these women in the picture, I think, still on the screen, are going through the dung gate, and that the refuse that um, uh, the Mugabe Quarter was at the southern end of, of Jerusalem. So a lot of the refuse of the city came through the dung gate. And the, when when one reads about the smells of Jerusalem, like any pre-modern city, it was a pretty it was a pretty extraordinary place. And um, and so here we see this gate. You can see that there are animals, only donkeys and, and women can go through. So anyway, we hope to we hope to at some point in, um, include a multi-sensory experience. And oh, before I leave, I'd like to also say that. In collaboration with um, Andrew Yip, who will soon be at the uh, Center for Post-Digital Cultures in, in Coventry, um, we hope to create a, a museum installation um, of the Illish Relief, Virtual Illish Initiative. And then we will take this uh, digital installation, this is called Digital Museology. We then will take that to various places around the world so that everybody can go to Jerusalem. So that if you want to be a pilgrim or whatever, you can experience Jerusalem as people did in the 19th century when they came to see that maquette that Illich made. They imagined themselves as, as sort of avian pilgrims, as virtual pilgrims. Well, we hope to give them the chance to be in a kind of surround sound experience and to, through digital means, to make them enter into Jerusalem in really untold ways. It's very, very exciting. One last question. And I just want to come full circle. At the very beginning of the interview, you mentioned that you really didn't know Jerusalem and very much you were influenced by the idea of heaven. After working in Jerusalem, after working on Jerusalem for the past few years, is still Jerusalem heaven? You know, many, I actually have taught a course on the histories of heaven, so I have a lot of material about how people have viewed heaven. And I think um, 
I think that throughout human history, the human heart and her story, I keep wanting to return to a more gender inclusive expression, uh, maybe even further. Throughout, um, throughout the experience of humanity, there's been a, expressed through literature, through music, through art, through prayer, whatever, an extraordinarily deep longing for, for, for heaven, for, for a life that doesn't end, for, for um, some place where one finds rewards, uh, for suffering in life, for peace, um, uh, reconciliation, uh, a, a kind of reconciliation with loved ones too. And I think this, this, this longing for heaven, despite the fact that we live in a very post-religious age, is very, is kind of deeply yeah, embedded in the human heart. So I'm not sure I would say Jerusalem has heaven, is, is you know, evokes heaven despite its, its, its universal um, image as the holy city. But there are moments in Jerusalem when one sits on a, a Byzantine column in the Basilica of the Holy Sepulchre, when one stands on the roof of the Austrian hospice, um, when one is um, in the Armenian Church of St. James uh, for the chanting, when when one is eating kufta in, uh, or, or shopping in the market for the spices, sitting on the uh, Damascus Gate on the uh, steps outside, or just looking up at those extraordinary skies of Jerusalem. I mean, that's, you know, we lift up our eyes to heaven, and I, I remember the the beautiful image of Gustav Dorr of the 19th century when he shows the heaven of the Book of Revelation um, descending um, uh, the, the holy city of Jerusalem. It's so beautiful. It's so And so I think there's just extraordinary beauty in Jerusalem, and there's beauty in everybody who lives there. And I, I also want to include the the vendors in in West Jerusalem, in the um, Mahani Yehuda Market, in the shops in, in West Jerusalem, and the people who helped me at Yad Ben Zvi to find photographs. Um, I found tremendous beauty and, and, and kind of fragmentary moments of heaven in a lot of people and a lot of places in Jerusalem. Uh, and it's a city of um, which invites sort of the person who doesn't mind prowling around really early in the morning or really late at night, because then you can really see the extraordinary beauty of the Jerusalem stone um, and just feel the antiquity of the bones of the sorry of the stones of the stones and maybe the bones too, because there's so many people who are the vast necropolis. Uh, yes, heaven is in Jerusalem, but heaven is in Geneva, and heaven is wherever you are too, or there too. Mary Velma, thank you so much. Mary Velma thank is the uh, director and founder of the Arch uh, Jerusalem Project. And I want to tell all of the listeners and also those who have been watching the uh, video cast of this episode to click on the mugrabiquarter.info and explore the history of the Mugrabi Quarter and to take a look at the amazing pictures that are posted in the archival section. Mary Velma, Thank you so much. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.